Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.40 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 28th day of August 2023. This is episode 782 of Bitcoin and Argentina, Argentina, Argentina. We're going to talk a little bit, actually quite a bit, about some of the happenings going on in Argentina. It seems that the IMF has got their panties in a snit about this dude, a Malay, who's uh, down there apparently causing problems, issues, and other other things. And uh, we've got a new entrance into the Circle P. We'll talk about that. Um, got another song for you from the underclass coming out of Wave Lake. And I would appreciate it if you guys would go over there and show the underclass some support. Um, still haven't figured out that whole uh, value time split block thing. Uh, it's, you know... We'll get all that figured out, but right now the tooling is just a little, eh, so you're not going to be able to boost them during the show. One of these days, that tooling, and, and probably damn soon, if people like Pablo ever get some sleep, uh, will we'll, it, you know, it, well, if Pablo ceases, at, continues to not sleep, let's just say that, then maybe somebody like Pablo will be able to uh, get some tooling involved for the value time split and enable you to boost and stream and during the podcast, and you don't have to do anything. And those Satoshis will shoot over to whatever song that I'm playing, but not right now. But, you know, it is it is what it is. Now, I mentioned the Circle P and a new entrant to the Circle P. Strange things are always afoot at the Circle P. If you don't know what it is, it's sort of my way of allowing people that do not have advertising budgets to be able to get their product and or service out into the wind. And they pay me and nothing but, well, if somebody says, hey, I heard about your product or service on the show, I want to purchase that. Um, you know, it was on the Bitcoin and podcast. And then, you know, those vendors will shoot me, you know, some percentage of the sales as long as they are assured that the sale was made through the Circle P. All right, so that's what the Circle P is. And today we have a new entrant, and that would be Rev.Hoddle. I presume that's Reverend Hoddle. I'm not exactly sure, but it's somebody who's kind of very near and dear to one of the major tenets of this show, and that would be permaculture, regenerative agriculture, homesteading, that that sort of thing, which I talk about mm, pretty much incessantly. <clears throat> when I'm not talking about Bitcoin news. But Reverend Hot or Rev Hoddle is announcing the Rev Hoddle's Applied Permaculture Class and Fireside Bitcoin Meetup. Here's his blurb about it. Now he he launched this or well, he talked about this one week ago 
So let's get into it. Learn how to apply permaculture to your lifestyle to build sovereignty, resilience, and wealth in this three-hour class. I will detail how I apply the permaculture ethics and principles to homesteading, share how I build resilience in my wealth with the eight forms of capital, and illuminate the connections between Bitcoin and permaculture. After learning about applied permaculture, we'll eat lunch prepared with fresh food grown on the homestead. After lunch, I will give a full homestead tour showcasing living examples to see the ethics and principles of permaculture in action. You will leave with a full understanding of permaculture and the inspiration to apply it to your life in any situation. Here's the date. This is going to occur Sunday, September the 17th, 2023 at 10 a.m. The approximate location is Barada or Baroda, Michigan. Tickets cost 250,000 Satoshis. That's 250,000 Satoshis. Do the math. 21 tickets are available. There's only 21 tickets. Right? This is a small gathering, and this gathering is live. It's not streamed over Zoom or something like that. You're going to go to Baroda, Michigan. You're going to go to this dude's homestead. You're going to stand on his property live and in person, baby, with 21 other, well, 20 of you and 20 other people plus Rev Hoddle will be there. Okay, so there's only 21 tickets. To purchase the tickets, you have to DM Rev Hoddle. His InPub will be in the show notes, right? So you're going to have to DM him on uh, on Noster. Now, that doesn't mean that if, if I'm not sure, I, I haven't been on Twitter in a long time. I don't know if Rev Hoddle has a Twitter account. That's not my concern right now. As far as we're concerned here, to get a hold of one of these tickets for 250,000 Satoshis for basically an all-day deal, you're going to DM Reverend or Rev Hoddle on Noster, and his NPUB will be in the show notes. I will also host a fireside Bitcoin meetup at the homestead at 7 p.m. Saturday, the day before September the 16th, which is open to everyone, but you got to BYOB. Lodging is available for Saturday and Sunday night. Free camping. There are limited spaces for RVs. So you're going to have to, again, contact Rev Hoddle about if you're going to be able to put your RV on his, uh, on, you know, He's going to be able to accommodate that RV. There will be, oh, you can book the house. There's apparently a house there and it has four bedrooms with a six guest maximum. You can book his yurt. And if you don't know what a yurt is, it's spelled Y-U-R-T. And it's basically a kind of like a TP, a little bit, a little bit more accommodating than a TP, but it's, eh, well, look up a yurt. Okay. Just find out what a yurt is. It has a queen bed will, you know, sleep two guests maximum. Again, DM Rev Hoddle for all pricing. And here's the weekend schedule. So Saturday, September the 16th, you'll check in and get to the Fireside Bitcoin Meetup. At 3 p.m., you check in for those who are staying overnight. There's no plans for dinner, so you got to fend for yourself on that one. At 7 p.m., the Fireside Bitcoin Meetup which is bring your own beer, will start. 
The next day, Sunday, September the 17th, Rev Hoddle's Applied Permaculture class begins at 10 a.m. with the permaculture lecture. At 12 p.m., you'll have the homestead lunch. At 1 p.m., you'll have the walking tour, you know, that's permaculture in action, and he'll show you what's going on around his stuff. And then at 3 p.m., there it will wrap up, and then there will be networking. So I don't know how long after 3 p.m. this thing goes, You'll have to talk to Rev Hoddle about that. But again, these tickets are limited. There's 21 tickets only. They cost 250,000 Satoshis. It, see, it sounds to me like you're going to get quite a bit out of this thing. I would highly recommend if you're any, anywhere close to Baroda, Michigan, that you attend. You know, like I've, there are, there's a, quite a few people on Noster in the Bitcoin realm that are also cross-contaminated with regenerative agriculture, permaculture, and that kind of thing. I've been following Rev Hoddle for a while, honestly, and listening to what he has to say. I, he kind of knows what he's talking about. So with this kind of schedule over a two-day span, at 250,000 Satoshis plus, you know, you get, the, you get a, a, a meal out of the thing, I don't know, man. Sounds sounds fun. It sounds like it would be worth it. And since it's such a limited gathering, it's probably going to have that small Bitcoin conference feel. So y'all jump on that. All right. Where are we going with this? Oh, let's see. I want to make sure that I've got all this set up. All right. Here we go. Argentina. Argentina for us Yanks. Argentina offers financial aid to crisis-hit workers and pensioners. Ileana Razuski is writing this one for Reuters. Buenos Aires from Reuters. Argentina's economy ministry on Sunday announced a series of benefits for workers and pensioners intended to soften the blow of a severe economic crisis which has seen inflation spiral and the government devalue the country's currency. The government will give nearly 7.5 million pensioners a package of 37,000 pesos, which is about $105. <laughs> Over the next three months, Economy Minister Sergio Massa said in part of a series of messages on his Instagram account. Massa, and here's where you listen up, the same guy, the Sergio Massa dude is, that's doing this, He's given money to all these pensioners. He's the good guy, right? He's the, you know, the minister of the economy. You know what else he is? He's the presidential candidate for the ruling party. Yes, right, exactly. Massa, who is also the ruling party's presidential candidate for the October 22nd elections, will face ultra-libertarian outsider Javier Millet, whose support from disillusioned voters propelled him to victory in a primary vote this month. Massa said workers will receive 400 billion pesos in loans, while self-employed workers will be offered six months of tax relief, and those on food benefits will receive additional stipends. Bread and circus, ladies and gentlemen. He also announced a suspension of export taxes for some industrialized regions uh, or regional goods, such as wine, rice, and tobacco, as well as funding for fertilizers to help farmers whose last harvest suffered from a historic drought. If they have another drought this year, fertilizer isn't going to help, 
ladies, it's going to actually make it worse because it jacks the soil up. Anyway, the government, helped by bank financing, we'll get to that, will also offer $770 million in funding to help boost export sales and companies have been ordered to provide bonuses to some 5.5 million workers who earn below 400,000 pesos per month, Massa said, equivalent to about 1,140 bucks at the official rate, but roughly 500 at the informal parallel exchange rate. Quote, the goal is that every economic sector receives some state report, Massa said. The move comes two weeks after the government devalued the peso by nearly 20%, accelerating annual inflation, which already was hovering around 115% as Argentines saw their purchasing power dwindle further. Massa said the devaluation resulted from a result, or hold on, sorry, I messed that up. Massa said the devaluation resulted from a request from the International Monetary Fund. As it renegotiates a $44 billion loan program with the South American government, polls for the October elections have narrowed, giving an equal share of the vote to Massa, opposition candidate and foreign security minister Patricia Bullich and Millet, who has pledged to dollarize the economy and shut the central bank. Experts believe the vote could pass to a runoff in November. Meanwhile, tensions have risen and a series of lootings have taken place across the country. Okay. So just to boil it down, you got Malay who surprisingly won the presidential primary. Just all the votes went, you know, like more than way one third of the votes went to this guy and the other two people, Massa being one of them, got like placed one or a two and three. All right. Masa happens to be what? What did I say? The economic minister of the ruling party, the people that are in power right now, they're putting this guy up as a presidential candidate. And what is he doing in response for getting his ass handed to him in the presidential primaries in Argentina? Bribery. Straight up bribery. Will it work? It very well may. We've seen this crap before. We've seen it before, but there is nothing ethical about the guy that has the power of the purse to start doling out cash to the citizenry and have it and say that it has nothing to do with the presidential election. He's doing it to help. That's bullshit. He's buying votes. And I can almost guarantee you who's behind that. The International Monetary Fund. Because they're in the middle of renegotiating this $44 billion loan package or whatever. It's more like $7 billion at this point. But where are they getting this $44 billion stuff? Well, it's just this ongoing, I was about to say lifeline, but it's not a lifeline. It is a slavery umbilical from Argentina or from the IMF to Argentina. It's a slavery umbilical. It has nothing to do with a lifeline. That's what they always call it. It's a lifeline. No, it's a ball and chain. And so, you know, a guy came back to me today. Like I I released that. uh, I put a note out on Noster said that the IMF, something about the IMF is added again in Argentina and, you know, uh, sent this uh, Reuters article as a, you know, I put the URL there as a link. So people could go read the article for themselves that I just read you. 
And the guy comes back and basically says, well, what else are they supposed to do? They have to get these loans from the IMF. I mean, nobody's going to fix this, right? And while is in in the guy, I'm not being harsh. Okay, this is always going to be the. This is what people are generally speaking going to think. You can go to any normie in the world, and they're going to go, "Well, of course the IMF has to help Argentina. Of course they do. There's no way out." Well, if you go back and look at the relationship with of Argentina with the International Monetary Fund, you need to ask yourself the question, how far back does this quote-unquote help go? Well, at www.imf.org, you can actually find that out. I'm looking at it right now. This is all about Argentina. And it is literally a spreadsheet with the transaction with the International Monetary Fund denoted in SDRs, which stands for Special Drawing Rights, right? So it's kind of like a bat, like a dollar, but kind of not. It's it it SDRs are weird. Uh, that sort of International Monetary Fund, World Bank. European, you know, the European Central Bank, that's sort of the way that these guys actually talk to each other is in these special drawing rights, which is a basket of international currencies that, you know, the U.S. dollar, the euro, those those types of things. But these, this quote unquote help from the International Monetary Fund to Argentina, to the country of Argentina, no other country, not to South America, not to Latin America, just to Argentina, stretches back to 1985. Do the math. How long has that been going on? Disbursements range anywhere from, and this is in SDRs, not dollars, okay? So they're kind of like a dollar, kind of not, but in SDR. You're, in 1985, the first disbursement to Argentina from the International Monetary Fund was like 984 million. The the next year, the very next year, 1986, 473 million. By the way, the charges that have been paid on that, so like on these loans, are minuscule in comparison to the principal. Like what's been paid back according to the International Monetary Fund on the quote charges paid column is $118 million on that 1985 loan. Has Argentina been fixed? No, it just gets worse. So my question back to the gentleman that was querying me about, well, what else are they supposed to do? I don't know. Maybe tell the IMF to F off that they don't want their money anymore that they need to fix this stuff internally because it's year. The only time since 1984 that these guys haven't taken a loan was in 1998, 1999, So my question, and I'll just leave it here. My question is, is this helping Argentina? 
Is another loan from the IMF going to help Argentina? My, my answer is absolutely no. But here's what's on the table right now from the IMF. Rodrigo Campos, again from Reuters, is writing this one. IMF frees up $7.5 billion for Argentina, lowers the bar for economy uh, targets. And this was written on August the 23rd, so about a, you know, a little under a week ago. The executive board of the IMF on Wednesday approved the disbursement of $7.5 billion for Argentina after completing the fifth and sixth reviews of their $44 billion program, the IMF said. Various economic targets included in the program were eased. As in the fourth review, excuse me, excuse me, as in the fourth review and waivers for non-observance were also in place, the IMF said. Total disbursements under the arrangement are not now about $36 billion, the fund said. Most of the cash is being used to pay back the fund for another program. IMF staff in Argentina had reached an agreement in late July, which had eased economic targets, partly because of a devastating drought, creating a challenging environment for the grain's exporter. Quote, the executive board assessed that key program targets were missed through end June, the end of June 2023 on account of the historic drought, along with policy slippages requiring the approval of waivers of non-observance, the IMF said. The reserve accumulation target and the primary fiscal balance and monetary financing of the deficit targets were also modified, the fund said, without providing details on the new targets, of course. Argentine economy minister, here he is, Sergio Massa, said in a press conference later on Wednesday that the new targets will be made public by the IMF on Friday. Argentina's net foreign exchange reserves were in the red ahead of the disbursement and the South American country agreed to a $775 million loan with Gutter over in the Middle East, plus a $1 billion bridge loan from Regional Development Bank, CAF, and another $1.7 billion from a swap with China to make a payment to the IMF earlier this month. They're taking loans from other institutions to pay off the loan they took from the IMF or that they've been taking from the IMF. Just let that sink in. Argentina plans to tap the disbursement to repay China part of that money. The next program review is scheduled for November after the October 22nd first round presidential election vote. The disbursement is key for the center-left government coalition and its candidate, Massa, who said the new cash guarantees a stability framework through the end of November. Argentina, the largest debtor with the IMF after years of economic crisis, has seen locals lose faith in their currency as inflation hit triple digits and almost four in 10 people are below the poverty line. The government last week pegged the official peso to 350 per dollar in an 18% devaluation and raised the benchmark interest rate by 21 percentage points to 118%, politically costly moves amid a presidential campaign. The government said the IMF wanted a 100% devaluation. The peso hit last week a record low of 785 pesos per dollar in parallel exchanges, more than double the official rate, and closed Wednesday at 725 pesos per dollar. This isn't helping. This isn't helping. 
Since 1985, the IMF has basically just been savaging Argentina since 1985. That will be 40 years of IMF control in what, two years from now? Or a year and a half from now? 40 years that the IMF has been helping Argentina. Does it look like they're helping? What the hell is the IMF? Nobody really knows, honestly. Some people, we, well, of course, there's a definition of Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't think that definition's holding up now. How, I mean, is there any country that has actually seen positive momentum for their people after the IMF has come in to, quote unquote, help them? If somebody's got a country, a na- just name a country for me. Send it in a boostergram. Throw me a note in, in Noster. In whatever. I don't care how you get me the information. Somebody show me a country that has been undeniably helped by the IMF. 40 years of this shit. 40 years of Argentina being under the thumb of an international banking class. And people are still saying, but the IMF is here to help. People are still saying, what else is this country to do but to seek help from the IMF? I don't know, man. It doesn't look like it's helping. It doesn't look like it's helping anybody in Latin America. But, 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 staying in Latin America and moving into a more Bitcoin-centric realm, Latin American firm Hashdex joins Bitcoin Spot ETF Scrum with distinct plan. Donovan Choi is writing it for Decrypt. The largest crypto asset manager firm in Latin America, Hashdex, is officially throwing its hat in the ring of SEC suitors seeking approval to operate a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. For years, the SEC has ignored or rejected ETF applications for cryptocurrencies, at least for spot markets. But when investing juggernaut BlackRock submitted an application for a Bitcoin spot ETF in June, it reignited industry interest around the possibility of such an investment vehicle. Encouraged by the firm's historically high regulatory approval rate, other companies submitted their own applications, most of them emulating BlackRock's approach. Specifically, they're proposing using a surveillance sharing agreement with exchange giant Coinbase to monitor for potential fraud. Hashdex's ETF application, therefore, is unusual in its strategy. Acquiring spot Bitcoin from within the regulated Chicago Mercantile Exchange market through its existing Bitcoin futures ETF. Okay, this is a li- this is different. This is a different way of doing it. That's what they're getting at is that they're doing this in a different way. They want to acquire spot Bitcoin through their existing Bitcoin futures ETF. It's an interesting play. According to its official NYSE ARCA filing to the SEC, Hashdex proposes to use the exchange for physical transactions to acquire and dispose of spot Bitcoin instead of transactions on unregulated spot exchanges. This approach could provide financial regulators greater assurances 
as cryptocurrency prices would be tracked by movements within a tightly regulated market instead of the broader unregulated crypto market. Hashdex, with $435 million under management, touts itself as the first company to launch a crypto index ETF in Brazil and the first in the world. Alistair Milne, founder of Altana Digital Currency Fund, claims that this would be hard to reject for the SEC. The strategy is in contrast to the approach others have taken, using a surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase that relies on financial institutions sharing market surveillance information. To date, such an agreement has been entered into by financial institutions such as Valkyrie, Wise Origin, Wisdom Tree, Vanek, Invesco Galaxy, and ARC 21 shares. In a recent Hashdex blog post, the firm argued that Coinbase's strategy was unconvincing as, quote, there has been no evidence that this addresses the SEC's concerns, end quote. While the strategy is different, the goal is the same, convincing American regulators that they are taking active steps to safeguard their financial products from market manipulation. All right, so that's the article. They're not doing the surveillance sharing agreement. What they're saying is, look, we already have a regulated Bitcoin futures ETF that you guys have approved. Working inside of that pre-existing framework that you have approved, we want to be able to purchase spot Bitcoin. I kind of agree with Alistair Milne. This is going to be hard to reject. Now, does that mean that they that the SEC can't reject it? Oh, they can do whatever the hell they want, right? They, I mean, we've seen that. They they like literally have no overlords, right? They don't even answer to the American people. They clearly don't answer to the president. They don't really answer to anybody except, I guess, Gary Gensler himself, king on high. But this is going to be an interesting play. Now, here's one of the other things that this brings up. You got all these guys in, let's go back up, up north into the continental or the, the United States, right? the United States regulatory framework and all these spot Bitcoin ETF applications that have basically been coming down to pipe. Okay. They're all emulating BlackRock's ETF application. Specifically, they've all put in the surveillance sharing agreement, but all of them are also saying that they want to use Coinbase. I don't know. This sounds like a lot of centralization of surveillance sharing agreements across all these spot Bitcoin ETFs. Is BlackRock making a move to ensure that Coinbase, the company itself, has the lion's share of, reg- of surveillance, is, is, I guess is what I'm getting at. Because BlackRock probably knows that everybody in all these regulatory regimes and authorities in nations across the planet, they want surveillance. They need surveillance. And they're, by God, going to have their freaking surveillance whether it kills everybody on the planet or not. They don't care. They just don't care. They want the surveillance. If BlackRock has their hooks into Coinbase, and by forcing everybody to follow BlackRock's lead and using Coinbase as the service for the surveillance sharing agreement, how does that not benefit BlackRock 
even in the simplest the simplest way possible. BlackRock starts, you know, either already owns or starts buying a whole shit ton of Coinbase stock. You see how that works? Do I know that for a fact? No, I do not. It is a simple gut feeling. But these are the things to watch. Now, I was talking about it's talking about surveillance. Let's get into some of the effects of surveillance. David Atlee, writing for Cointelegraph, has this one. OKX and Bybit removes sanctioned Russian banks from payments list. Yes, exactly. At least two major crypto exchanges <coughs> followed Binance by excluding Russian banks under international financial sanctions from their payment options. Tinkoff Bank and Spurbank are no longer available on the list of peer-to-peer transactions on Bybit and OKX. According to Russian media, local users can no longer receive fiat money in exchange for their crypto on Tinkoff Bank or Spurbank accounts on the P2P platforms of OKX and Bybit. No official announcements by the representative of either company were made in official channels. However, at the time of publication, OKX still allows users to receive fiat to their accounts of the Russian branch of Reefsian Bank and the Russian Standard Bank. Both financial institutions are not included in the list of entities under sanctions by the United States Treasury. The new wave of attention to the presence of sanctioned Russian banks on the crypto exchange's payments option arose last week when... The Wall Street Journal reported that Binance listed Tinkoff Bank and Spurbank as transfer methods. On August the 24th, Tinkoff and Spurbank disappeared from the Binance P2P platform, but the yellow and green options, representing their brand's colors, were still present. A day later, the WSJ reported that the sanctioned banks were removed from the list altogether, citing a Binance spokesperson. Even though they were supposed to be removed, Cointelegraph discovered that Binance P2P users are still putting up ads for sales using the Green Bank as their preferred payment option. These users might mention other payment methods like Russian Standard Bank or Akbar's Bank, but they make it clear in the advertiser's terms that they will only accept transfers through the Green Bank. The same thing goes, according to media reports, for both OKX and Bybit, Uh, where merchants still provide an option of exchange via sanctioned banks in private communications. The attack on the on-ramps continue, and they look like they're getting even worse. So here's the thing. If the Treasury wants to disrupt the ability for people to buy and sell Bitcoin on exchanges around the world, all they really have to do is sanction the banks in various countries. And when they do that, when they do that, they force all the crypt, quote unquote crypto exchanges to follow suit, lest they send the USS Ronald Reagan and bomb them into oblivion with the rest of the brown people. All right. That's the attack vector is the United States Treasury and their sanctions list. That's it. That's all they got to do. Now, does that mean Bitcoin dies? No, no, no. But HODL, HODL, and Peach, and a couple of the other truly decentralized exchanges, they need to be looked at more, They well, they need to be looked at more 
by people who want to get Bitcoin because I think we're going to see a trend of bank after bank after bank being put on the United States Treasury's sanctions list and therefore exchange after exchange after exchange removing said sanctioned banks until there's just nobody to on-ramp and off-ramp with. And this is a very bad thing. Is it insurmountable? No. But anybody who thought this was going to be, the, the they fight you phase was going to be easy has been basically fooling themselves. Prime Trust found that shit out. Check their filing out. Prime Trust filing reveals a cascade of failures that led to bankruptcy filing. Nicholas Morgan tells us about the series of snafus over there at Prime Trust, writing for Decrypt. Irresponsible spending. Misjudging summer's 20, summer 2022's crypto market implosion. Getting locked out of its own cryptocurrency wallet. These are just some of the missteps detailed in a court filing submitted by battered crypto custodian Prime Trust as it seeks bankruptcy protection. In a filing with the United States Bankruptcy Court in Delaware on Thursday, Prime Trust CEO Jor Law explained how the company was battered by a combination of the collapsing cryptocurrency market and a management team that failed to change course amid the plunge. Instead, Law, who became interim CEO last November, said the company's previous leaders doubled down on spending at a time when revenues were strained. According to Law, Prime Trust spent about $10.5 million in October against revenues of about $3.1 million, giving it a net loss of over $7 million. A month later, the spending rose again to $11.1 million, costing it another net loss of about eight. million. million. They were just spending themselves into oblivion, apparently. Among the events that hit the company directly last year was the collapse of Terra Luna last May after the failure of Terra's UST stablecoin and Luna governance token. Law said that Prime Trust would put $6 million into client funds and $2 million from its own treasury into Terra before it failed. In another egregious incident, the company detailed how it locked itself out of its own cryptocurrency wallet under the subheading, quote, the wallet event, end quote. <laughs> Low detailed how company executives used a cold storage wallet for holding on to tokens, including ETH and ERC-20 compliant coins. One wallet described as a 98F wallet was set up in March of 2018 as a device that required physical possession as well as multiple signatures to access. In 2019, Prime Trust moved its wallets over to a system operated by digital security platform Fireblocks, but the company did not realize that the migration from the legacy wallets to a new system was incomplete, nor that it was still providing customers with addresses that let customers deposit funds into the 98F wallet. It only learned of these mistakes when an unidentified customer requested a large ETH withdrawal that the company could not fulfill. To make matters worse, it soon learned that it no longer had the physical devices, which were engraved crypto steel plates, to even access the old wallet. They went so far as to get to buy crypto steel plates, put the the seed words into the plate, and then lost the plate. This, these are the people that custody Bitcoin. 
Honestly, it's kind of no wonder that the SEC is a little weird about letting people custody their own shit. That's why they absolutely require third-party approved people to do this shit. Not that I agree with them, but it it does guard against stupid idiocy like this. They lost their crypto steel plates. Holy crap. To this day, law said Prime Trust still has no access to the 98F wallet. Instead, law said certain company employees began using fiat currencies from its client accounts to purchase ETH and meet withdrawal requests from December of 2021 to March of 2022 using over $76 million to fund them. Prime Trust problems gradually spiraled from there. In June, Two prime trust partners were targeted by state securities regulators and the company itself saw a merger deal with crypto custodian BitGo collapse only two weeks after being signed. On June the 27th, Nevada regulators moved to shut down prime trust after they learned the company owed massive debts in fiat and cryptocurrencies to clients. Officials said that prime trust owed more than 85 million in fiat with only about $2.9 million on hand. In terms of cryptocurrencies, Prime Trust owed about $69.5 million with a little over $68.6 million available so, to it at the time. After being initially placed into receivership, Prime Trust ultimately filed for bankruptcy on August the 14th. How? See, and this is the, 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 what, what really bugs the crap out of me is that the guy that built Prime Trust left apparently with money that they took from Prime Trust, not salary, no, like actual Prime Trust customer money, as far as I can tell, and started Fortress Trust, which is now being used by Swan Bitcoin. And I don't, and, and that's one of the reasons why Corey and the guys over at Swan are getting so much crap as of late because they're using Fortress Trust, which is the same guy that did Prime Trust. Who's to say that this idiocy is not going to happen again, right? But Corey knows better. See, that's the thing. Corey knows better. He's always been a good Joe. I get the feeling that when they entered into the agreement with Fortress Trust, that they didn't really know that it was the same guy that did Prime Trust because everything is moving so fast. And you might say, David, they should have known. That's actually something people in courts of law, that's what lawyers will say in courts of law. You either knew or should have known. That's what my dad always said. He would always state it like that. He's like, you either knew or should have known about X. But that doesn't mean that you did. And I'm not defending Corey. I'm just saying that I just don't see Corey as the kind of guy who wants to rug pull people. Not not for as long as he's been in, for as much trust as he's gained. Something I don't think that they really knew that this was the same guy that was doing Fortress Trust. My only only hope is that Swan Bitcoin gets rid of Fortress Trust all altogether. And they go and they do a river financial model, which is where they custody their own Bitcoin and they have a whole group dedicated to nothing but Bitcoin custody. All right. That's my hope for Swan. I'm still, I'm still holding out hope that Corey's not a rug puller, that Swan isn't an evil institution because they've always been above board before this. All right. So just, just saying, all right now, 
Let's take a break. Let's do a little bit of music. This is Butterfly Chain from The Underclass.
CNBC, futures and commodities. They got oil up 0.21% to $80 flat. Brent North Sea is down just a hair, 0.11% to 8439 And natural gas is up, a, a, ooh, a full two points. However, gasoline tanking three and a half points to the downside, down to $2.77 per gallon. Shiny metal rocks having a decent day. Gold is up 0.69% to 1953 and 10 cents. Silver is up 0.6. Platinum swinging for the fences, 2.88%. Copper is the only one that's down, but scant, 0.08% to the downside. Palladium is up two and a quarter. Uh, Most of the ag futures are, well, in the green. Biggest loser today is going to be, what, lumber, 1.36% to the downside. Biggest winner is sugar, 2.09% to the upside we got live cattle up a third and lean hogs up almost two full points. Feeder cattle are up almost a full point. Dow is up a half point. S&P is up a third. NASDAQ is up a quarter and the S&P mini is up a full point. Bitcoin, ah, $26,109. Average transaction value is 0.34 Bitcoin. Median transaction value is 8.6 United States pennies. I guess the ordinal guys are at it again. Block times are whoop de doo really high. 12 minutes and 38 seconds. That's not going to help. Ah, 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Almost 15 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 4.85% drop in hash rate. We're back down to 330 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 6.3 United States pennies. We got a $508.5 billion market cap. That's 3.96% of gold's entire market cap. You can get 13.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,469,674.32 of, and 4,746.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $124 million, being run over 16,211 nodes that we know about, sporting 67,988 payment channels that we can see, and 72.4% of all of that is going over Tor. Mempools are, yeah, they're getting packed again. We're looking at about 150 blocks carrying 420, yeah, 420, 420,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear but sat, uh, sat prices are low for transactions. 12 Satoshis per V-byte for high priority, 10 for low, and anything under 6 Satoshis per V-byte being purged for mempools around the world. And mempool.space, uh, their hash rate is reflecting 320 exahashes per second. So we'll split the difference. Hash rate is at 325 exahashes per second. Quite a, particip- a precipitous drop from 415 exahashes per second that we saw just a couple of days ago. And speaking of precipitous drops, shit, man, I'm out of the top 10 already on fountain charts. That's right. I don't know what number I'm at, but I sure as shit ain't in the top 10. Even after people like permaculture underscore, which I get the feeling is rev.hodl. With 18,921 Satoshis, which I didn't get, Rev. So make sure, make 
damn sure if you're not revving somebody else, then you also make sure that you got those Satoshis back. I don't want to be, I, I don't know, man. I just, just make sure your stuff is, is okay. Uh, Cause I don't, th- I'm not showing that I got them in either event. Permaculture says rev.hodl on Nostra has an applied permaculture class taking place in Baroda, Michigan on Sunday, September the 17th. For 250,000 sats, this three-hour showcases examples of how to apply permaculture to build resilience, capital, and stack more Bitcoin. You guys know the rest of it because I did that in the circle piece, so I'm going to go on. Uh, Wartime Psycho replies to that and says, this dude is awesome. Wartime Psycho with a thousand says, I listened on Noster, so I'll boost here. Oh, but 1x speed was weird. <laughs> Listening to 2x? Don't you know what Adam Curry says about 2x? It'll rot your brain. Dubrovko with a thousand says, does anyone have any other, did you know Google X to learn more? Bait and switches. This is a picture but it would be easier on David to write them out. Okay, let's see what uh, let's see what this actually says. Hold on for a second, because he's got a link here. Do, 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 do. Um, apparently, when animating Zootopia, Disney found it smoother to work in 34 frames per second rather than the more common 30 frames per second of their previous films, and even made it a rule that all new animators learn to animate in 34 frames per second going forward. Search up Zootopia Rule 34 to learn more. Okay, so I'm not, I don't know about that. Uh, the 34 frames per second versus 30. Um, eh, you know, I, I, I don't know. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to play dumb. <laughs> Dubrovko also says, any subject is game. This was just the one that I saw today. Funniest one next episode. All like for 5,000 sats. Dubrovko comes back and says, did you know that Atlanta is leading the way in urban regenerative agriculture? Google Fulton County eaten by bugs to learn more. <laughs> Fat Toshi comes back with for all of that and says, Google my face. Pies with the thousand says top 10 LFG. We didn't get there, dude. Uh, Axelrod with 451 quotable quotes. An extra $27 billion in tax revenue? Yeah, that's even more bombs we can drop on countries with names we can't pronounce. Lol, your comedic commentary brings a much-needed chuckle to the sad state of world affairs. God, I hope so. God's Death with 370 says, Positive thoughts always, and thank you, sir. No, thank you. I think we have been poisoned our whole lives with the food and forever chemicals they pumped out. Cancer is inevitable. Yeah, I kind of got to agree with that, and I don't like it. Uh, Kvart Beerborn says 30% of investors have been rugged by AI at least once. New, new poll shows during its latest poll, Block Scream Analytics found one in every three investors had been rug pulled by the AI they got financial advice from. Out of the two thirds remaining, 90% have seen their wealth crumble away due to program decay because Quote, inflation is necessary for the correct functioning of the system. Duh. The remainder of the respondents declared to be Bitcoiners or Cantillionaires, thus not giving a fuck. Pies with 250 says, hello from the beach and cheers. No, cheers, dude. And Pies finishes us off with 100. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use, vendata.io. 
Nostra client to interact with data vending machines. Vendata.io is a Noster client for interacting with data vending machines. Okay, well, that's great. That's great. Um, this is also a Pablo, uh, was it F7Z? I think Pablo F7Z. You know, the dude that has like 40 projects going on. Yeah, this is another one of his. Well, let's get into this one from nobsbitcoin.com. Vendata.io is a Nostra uh, client to interact with data vending machines, and it contains a homepage, which is a feed of global data vending machine activity. You can see the digital or the, yeah, the data vending machine requests that you've published, and that's where you see the results that you've received. The fact that there is no, quote, the fact that there is no registration, no signups or approvals, the fact that Anyone can create a data vending machine and immediately monetize it with zero intermediaries in an ever-growing marketplace that is beaming with new users coming from all types of use cases in mind means that data vending machine market is the freest market of data processing artificial intelligence in the world. It lets you, quote, create generic job chains so that you can do, well, anything like Create a personalized trending topics list based on what you've written in the past week. Create a transcription of 10 podcasts and compile them into a TLDR of five paragraphs. You can create AI images based on the content of every note you've written in the past week. You can summarize what topics your network has been most actively discussing in the past 24 hours into a well-formatted one-pager. You can also build on someone else's results. Just use someone else's job as an input with the add job button, and you'll be able to collaboratively fund a job, crowd zapping, as it were, Pablo F7Z said. So, Venn data. Now, Pablo been a big proponent of data vending machines. So has quite a few other people, but Pablo is one of the ones that's been in the thick of it for the longest. And he has indeed released Vendata.io. It is a website. Go to Vendata.io. It's an intuitive interface, and that's important. I don't want an instruction manual on how to operate your website. I need to just be able to intuitively get into your website and figure out how things work and Pablo's done it again with Vendata, V-E-N-D-A-T-A dot I-O. That's Vendata dot I-O. You probably should check it out. I know I did, and I'm looking at it right now. And it's a slick looking website. And the first thing it says, like like you'll find the login button, like every website at the top right corner of your screen It allows you to log in with your Nostr public and private key pair that's held by a browser extension if you so choose. You can also log in with your Nostr credentials in another way, but I prefer the GitAlby way. That's the extension that I use. And ever since Nostr has been born, I have been using GitAlby all the time now. I've had it as a browser extension for a while, but its utility for me has skyrocketed along with the skyrocketing amount of Nostr-based clients, whether they be social media-based clients 
or something like Pablo's Vendata.io, which is a data vending machine. And I'm not going, I've gotten into the weeds on data vending machines before, uh, but essentially it's like, let's say that like, well, I'll give you an example of a, of a job that I submitted to Vendata, which completely failed most likely because I was asking AIs around the world. I'd put a job out there and said, Hey, anybody who wants this for a thousand Satoshis, you know, please do it. And what was it that I wanted done? Well, I wanted a transcript of one of my podcasts between the six minute mark. The, this is the last, like uh, episode 781, but starting at the six minute mark and ending at the 12 and a half minute mark. And just to get a, a, an entire story that I read from end to end. And it said, okay, well, what's the URL to that, to that podcast? I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So I give it the URL directly to that episode, not my whole podcast, not all the episodes, just that one episode on SoundCloud. I gave it that episode. And then it says, okay, great. Uh, for what, what timestamp, uh, from what time, uh, do you want to begin? And at what time do you want to end in seconds? So I had to do a little bit of math and I said like 600 from the, from 600 seconds to, I don't know what it was like 760 seconds. And then just clip that listen to my voice, have some AI that's out there in the wind to twist and wants to make some Satoshis, uh, have it listen to my voice, transcribe it, and then give me that transcription in from my own voice in text, right? Just a like paragraph after paragraph. And it didn't do it because I set the job at 1000 Satoshis, which is not really a whole lot of money especially considering the job that I wanted to have done. That's a lot of work. Listening to somebody's voice for a couple, you know, like more than a handful of minutes. I think it was about, you know, I think it's right around five minutes, somewhere like that. And transcribe into text, which means that it kind of had to learn my voice. And that's a lot, that's a lot for an AI to do that. It's not that it's a lot for the AI to do. It's a lot for the GPUs to spin up to get that job done. And for a thousand Satoshis, no data vending machines replied to my request. So I'm looking right now at vendata.io forward slash jobs forward slash my. So these are the jobs that I put up. I've only got one and it's from Uncle Nunya Business. And it's, uh, it shows me the, you know, the job that I had that I requested and it said that no DVMs replied. And if I open that up and I add, or if I open that up, what I'll find out is that I had set the Satoshis to do this job at 1000 Satoshis. No wonder no data vending machines replied. It doesn't mean that vendata.io doesn't work. I'm definitely going to be playing around with this thing for the rest of the day because I love Pablo and I love his user interfaces. I love the guy to death. He doesn't sleep, and I worry about Pablo immensely, but I love the guy to death, right? So do your part. Go find out what vendata.io is all about. Um, when I go over and I just look at, at the, at the vendata.io, just the head page, the, the home, the landing page itself, I end up with all kinds of jobs that I can get done, like DVM, well, let's try this one. T- 
Task Tiger is a data vending machine. It will crowdsource your tasks like the tiger commands the wild. There's another one called Titter Trends or T-T-T-T-R-E-N-D-S. I guess that's Twitter Trends. And it says, I will give you some interesting Noster content to explore. And then I can use that DVM. Or I can go to this DVM uh, named Noster AI DVM Inactive Followings. It will return to you a list of 10 inactive followings. This includes the inpubs of users who haven't posted or reacted within the last six days, parameters or a parameter since you can be, sorry, parameter since can be used to increase the search window, uh, like for instance, being inactive for the last 60 days. There's a Noster AI summarizer. Use a Llama 2 instance to summarize the most important points of a given input, text, event, a job, can, for example, be applied on transcribed podcast, Nostra long-form events, etc., etc. And there's a lot of these. There's Nostra AI DVM artists. There's Suggest Wizard. I am a wizard of finding new people you should follow, second to none. There's Undercutter. There's all manner of these DVMs, and you can build your own. So start exploring on vendata.io. By the way, I love that name, Pablo, because it reminds me of Vendetta. And in fact, the um, the uh, logo for Vendetta, it reminds me quite a bit of the dude in the movie Vendetta. So there's that. All right. <clears throat> Robin Hood. Okay, getting into Normieville. Robinhood revealed to be the third largest Bitcoin holder with $3 billion in BTC. That always makes me nervous. I don't like hearing about it. However, Bitcoin is for enemies, so I have exactly the square root of F all to say about it. Coindesk and Shara Malwa brings it to you. Investing in trading platform Robinhood holds over $3 billion in Bitcoin in a single wallet that attracted the holdings over several months wallet data from Arkham Intelligence shows. This makes it the third largest Bitcoin holder behind crypto exchanges Binance and Bitfinex, which holds $6.4 and $4.3 billion worth of tokens on single wallets respectively. The wallet previously gained notoriety among market watchers in the past few months as the identity of its owners sparked conversations and concerns about who the mysterious owner of such a large amount of Bitcoin could be. And they found out that it was Robinhood. And that's all I'm going to read from this Coindesk article because that's all you need to know is that Robinhood, of all the freaking people that could be the third largest Bitcoin holder, it has to be Robinhood? How the hell did Robinhood end up with $3 billion in Bitcoin? And by the way, this is Bitcoin that's held on the actual chain because they're get, we know the wallet address and you can go to, oh, whatever it is, mempool.space and you can put in that wallet address and it will show you the balance. This isn't paper Bitcoin. This is the balance of actual Bitcoin held on chain in, as far as we know, cold storage given this wallet address that we now know is owned by Robinhood. And of all the people in the world, I mean, I, I'm, I don't trust Binance. I don't trust Bitfinex. But I trust him a whole ton more than I trust somebody like Robinhood. I don't like this. I can't do nothing about it. Eh, but yeah, I don't, I don't like it. 
Now getting into some Bitcoin mining, Martin Young and Cointelegraph, Bitcoin revenue per terahash nears record lows as hash rate soars. Well, not as of today, anyway. Uh, Bitcoin mining revenue or hash price has slumped to levels not seen since the collapse of FTX in November of 2022, while the hash rate has reached new highs over the past week. Bitcoin network hash rate topped 414 exahashes per second on August the 18th, marking a new peak for the metric. The peak has seen network hash rate surging 54% from what it was at the beginning of this year and 80% over the past 12 months, according to blockchain.com. However, while the network looks good in terms of security, things are not so rosy for Bitcoin miners as revenue has fallen sharply, hitting levels which fell to, uh, well, sorry, hitting levels when BTC fell to a market cycle low of around 16,500 in November of 2022. According to Hash Price Index, revenue is just six cents per terahash per second per day, around half of what it was in early May when the Bitcoin ordinals inscription frenzy caused heavy demand for block space. Market analyst Dylan LeClaire commented on the falling revenue and hash rate peak, stating that more efficient new rigs will keep being produced, but it's almost time for the price to outpace, meaning that prices need to adjust upwards to keep mining profitable at such high hash rates. Bitcoin miners have reportedly been relying on funds from stock sales in the second quarter to keep them afloat during the bear market. On August the 24th, Bloomberg reported that the 12 major publicly traded miners raised about $440 million through stock sales in Q2. Mark Jeftovic, who runs the Bitcoin Capitalist Newsletter, said, quote, some mining companies are diluting shareholders at an excessive rate. If they are diluting you faster than Bitcoin is going up, then you are going the wrong way on a treadmill. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's I think I think there's in this next one about Laos. Uh, we have some more. We have a little bit more on crypto mining and let, let's go ahead and read through this, and then I'll get back to the thought that was bouncing around my little head here a second ago. Ezra Reguera, Cointelegraph. Laos pulls the plug on crypto mining electricity supply after drought. Laos, state-owned electricity distribution company, can't pronounce it, has announced that it will suspend electricity supply to crypto mining operations in the country, citing various reasons such as the struggle to generate enough power amid drought conditions. According to the announcement, Laos experienced a drought in the first half of this year. The extreme heat resulted in higher demand for electricity and caused hydropower plants to struggle, generating enough power. Apart from this, the EDL, that's the power company, said that hydropower plants generate 95% of the country's power and it aims to supply electricity locally as well as exporting large volumes to Thailand in 2024. The country's export capacity will also be affected as conditions become more severe. In an interview with a local media outlet, the Laotian Times, an EDL employee said that another reason for the suspension of supply for crypto mining projects is their inability to pay their outstanding balances. On September the 11th, 2021, the Laotian government approved the public-private pilot to explore crypto mining and trading. The move aims to capitalize on China's crackdown on mining, resulting in industrial-scale miners trying to find a different venue for operations. 
At the time, six companies had been permitted to conduct mining operations in Laos as part of the program. In other news, the Sultanate of Oman, a country located on the southeastern coast of the Arabian Peninsula, has launched a $370 million crypto mining center. On August 22nd, the center was opened in a special economic zone called the Salaha Free Zone. A local company, Exahertz, will run the center. Meanwhile, the Chinese official was sentenced to life in prison. Okay, so that didn't get to it. But there was a, I can't remember, I guess I just didn't include it in today's show. Let me make sure. Yeah, I didn't include it in today's show. But there was another story that basically was suggesting the following. With the exahash, well, with the amount of exahashes that we have securing the chain and the price per terahash hitting an all-time low, and that the fact that for months, some, maybe many, certainly not all, but maybe enough miners have been living on selling their shares, their own shares, to raise enough capital to pay electricity bills and payroll and any kind of rent, all that kind of stuff. And there was the suggestion in the story that for whatever reason I didn't include today, that they were also taking out loans to make those payments and that all of that shit was now coming to an end, which means what? They're probably going to start cutting loose some Bitcoin to pay their bill. This always seems to be part of the last end of the bear market. Now I'm not, I'm not here saying, you know, huddle on. I'm certainly not saying sell it all. I'm, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that this is the opportunity for people who are newer to Bitcoin to understand the physiology of a bear and bull market Bitcoin cycle. And this is part of the very, very, very well-known, unless you're new, well-known cycle of the Bitcoin bear part of the market, right? We get into this where we're just like a hand, you know, a couple of handfuls a month away from the halving. And we've already experienced a downturn. And then all of a sudden the hash rate drop or the, the hash rate goes up. And then, but it's, now there's more competition. So the amount of money that some miners are getting and they, it, it decreases to the point that they have to start, you know, selling their Bitcoin or they take loans to make it or the bridge loans or something like that to get themselves through until the price starts coming up again. And then all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation where they have to start selling some Bitcoin. Otherwise, they're going to go out of business. I don't hate them for it. I don't want anybody to go out of business either. You know, and they certainly don't want to go out of business more than I don't want them to go out of business. That's for damn sure. But, 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 it just means that if you were thinking that tomorrow or the next day or even this morning that you'd wake up and that the bull market was going to be in full swing, you've got a few more months. You got a few more months, man. And it's, it may suck. It, it may stay at 26,000 from here on out. I don't know. There, there will be fluctuations down in the 25.5 range. I know that for sure because people are going to be used. They're going to cut a whole bunch loose on the open market. They're going to wait for people to panic, sell their Bitcoin, and then they're going to buy it back. They're going to sell at 26, a big old chunk. People are going to panic and it's going to drop the price to 25.5. And the same people that caused the panic in the first place are going to buy everything back at 25.5 and more. They're going to use the cycling. They're going to rinse and repeat that shit. This is an accumulation phase. It doesn't look like it 
right? Because it's like, well, how the people, why would people be accumulating as the price drops further and further? It's the people that want more Bitcoin that are trying to get the price to drop further and further. It's, it doesn't, it makes sense and it doesn't make sense at the exact same time. At what the question becomes at what point do the people that are that are holding Bitcoin that seek to get more Bitcoin would just rather the purchasing power of that which they hold go up instead of accumulating more? Are they all 20 years old and have decades left on their life to where they can enjoy it in their later years? Are they in their 50s where it's like, ah, one point or another, I got to make a decision as to whether I want to accumulate more or if I want to enjoy the fruits of this labor, right? So that's kind of why it doesn't make sense because we're not squaring it with the lifetime of the humans that are behind dropping the price so that they can get more Bitcoin and at what time that they're going, I'm just done with the trading gig. We don't know. And there's always newer players coming in that are younger, we don't, we just don't know how this is going to play out, ladies and gentlemen, but it will play out at one point or another. And it played out for, well, it played out for Pepe coin. We'll end with this one. Bad actors. Last Pepe coin founder claims that Pepe could still thrive. Yes. Don't yell at me because I'm bringing you shit coin news. This actually ends up being rug pull news out of decrypt written by Donovan Choi. Crypto's biggest meme coin in the 2023 bear market has officially been rugged. On-chain sleuths on Twitter caught a whopping 16 trillion, that's trillion with a T, Pepe tokens worth about $16 million US being sold on various centralized exchanges like Binance, Bybit, KuCoin, and OKX on Thursday. Pepe Coin's market capitalization plummeted 26% to a low of $315.7 million before recovering 7.7% to $342 million. After two days of silence, someone claiming to be the project's last remaining founder apologized in a lengthy Twitter post detailing how these were the unexpected actions of three ex-team members who came back behind my back, whatever the hell that means. It means he got back. Well, it means he got backstabbed, but it's just a weird way of stating it. After selling 16 trillion Pepe, that's again, trillion with a T, the anonymous rogue team members, quote, then removed themselves from the multi-signature wallet in an attempt to absolve any association to Pepe, deleting all of their social media accounts and leaving me behind nothing but a message stating the multi-sig has been updated. You are now in full control. Wow. Multi-sig wallets. Well, we know what multi-sig wallets are. All right. It's like it takes, you know, two of three people to sign to, to do a transaction. Quote, the centralized exchange wallet tokens were never meant to be sold on the market or for the team to profit from, the founder wrote. Had I been in charge myself the whole time, I would have made some donations and burned the majority of the centralized exchange wallet long ago, end quote. Approximately 60% of all Pepe tokens were offloaded by the rogue team members. The sole remaining founder claims that the remaining 10 trillion with a T Pepe tokens worth about 8.7 million are in, quote, safe hands. Funds are Safu. Despite the setback, The anonymous member promises to continue taking the project forward, starting with fully decentralizing the project by burning 
burning all of its remaining tokens under the project's control. Since its inception, this is a quote, Pepe has unfortunately been plagued by inner strife, with a portion of the team being bad actors, led by big egos and greed, the Pepe Coin ETH account holder tweeted. Pepe is now entirely free of this baggage, which clears the road ahead to rug pull your ass some more. On Saturday, all the remaining tokens were transferred to a new wallet address. It's not the first time crypto projects have fallen prey to a multi-sig exploit. Last year, popular Web3 game Axie Infinity saw its Ronin network drained of $622 million worth of tokens by attackers, which similarly used a multi-sig system for transactional approval. Although multi-signature wallets offer better security than a private key controlled by a sole actor, cases like these prove that there are still immeasurable risks surrounding crypto projects. I'm pausing to state, just because your shit's in a multi-sig doesn't really mean anything. It's not that the multi-sig itself is some kind of magic protection against people who are dicks. If I have a two or three multi-sig wallet, and I've got some shitcoin scam going on, and I want to make you guys think that everything's fine, I'll say, well, look, it's a multi-sig wallet. What could possibly go wrong? Well, that two of the three signatures are held by assholes, and that they sign a transaction that I can't stop in that multi-sig wallet that sells 16 trillion Pepe coins from my ruggable shitcoin. That's what that don't buy into the fact that a multi-sig wallet is some kind of magical protection from a shitcoin that you want to get rich from. It's not. You're always going to get rugged. Always, always, always. The multi-sig has nothing to do with that kind of protection. It has everything to do with your own protection when you're holding your own Bitcoin and you want two of three or a four of five multi-sig address so that one person can't get a hold of one of your seed phrases and all of a sudden you ain't got no Bitcoin. There, that's where it shines. That's where it shines. It does not protect against the multitude the, like or a multiplicity of people in the multi-sig wallet from being dicks and rugging you anyway. That's not what multi-sig is for. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. All right, it's Monday, so here's Dad Says Jokes. Oh, Dad Says Jokes account has been suspended. I guess Elon Musk doesn't like dad jokes. If you think I'm kidding, go over to Dad Says Jokes over there on uh X, formerly known as Twitter. I guess I should just call it Twitter. Uh, At Dad Says Jokes is 100% suspended. Uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's bizarre because Dad Says Jokes doesn't really do anything but have really terrible dad jokes. So I, I don't really know what to bring you other than the fact that, well, I guess I could say a few words about Twitter. If you have a Twitter account and it's still active and hasn't been suspended because of, you know, speaking your mind or telling a terrible joke, um, then we should, well, not we, because I don't have a Twitter account any longer, but you 
I would ask that you do what you can to use your Twitter account for good and bring people from Twitter over to Noster because this just doesn't make any sense. He's at this point, Elon is just out of control. He's been out of control. I I agree with that, but it's just, it just, he continues to be out of control and now he's killed. Dad says jokes. How do you, what the hell do you do? What what the hell could have possibly been said that you would kill dad says jokes? The whole thing, the whole thing is just, it's, it's beyond repairable. Twitter is dead. It just doesn't know it yet. So while you can use your influence over on Twitter to grab whoever it is you can, just like we do to normies in finance world, you should do to Twitterers in Twitter world and give them a lifeboat. Try to pull as many people into the Noster lifeboat as you can, as quick as you can. Please, please. Using Twitter at this point to talk about or to using Twitter now, the way that you used to use Twitter no longer makes any sense. Of course, that's just my opinion. But using it to, you know, do reach or, you know, get engagement or, you know, expand your your podcast, you know, um, listenership, that it just doesn't work anymore. It's getting so bad that, Elon can't even take a joke, literally, because he banned Dad Says Jokes. He lit Trump back on, yay, he's a he's a bastion of free speech. Bullshit. I didn't get back on Twitter, and now he's killed a joke site. Now, I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and that Dad Says Jokes somehow magically comes back. But I've never seen Dad Says Jokes account on Twitter taken down before, and I've been harvesting jokes from him for like four or five years now. And I've never seen this before. I didn't know what I was looking at when I went to Dad Says Jokes. I was like, account suspended? Like, what the hell is this all about? So I went to another account, which wasn't suspended, and I'm like, holy crap, it really is suspended. So final parting words for this Monday, the 28th of August, 2023, at 10.08 a.m., Pacific Daylight Time is this. Go to Twitter, go to LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, wherever it is that you have a presence and continuously harp about people needing to move over to Noster before they get deleted. And all you have to do is say, you don't have to delete your other thing, but gain your namespace, claim it. Claim your namespace on Noster now. Do it now, do it now, do it now, so that you'll have a raft to jump onto when these people inevitably pull the plug on you. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.